0: Hello everyone, this is Patrick Kiesling, one of the medical students on the team behind ENT in a Nutshell. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, so that you never miss an episode. Now, on to the episode.
1: Hi everyone, and welcome back to another episode of ENT in a Nutshell, part of headmirror.com. My name is Jeff Meekum, and today's episode is another addition to our residency application toolkit. In today's episode we'll be interviewing a panel of four residents or soon-to-be residents that were able to match successfully in the ENT in a subsequent match cycle after initially not matching in their first. I'll go ahead and introduce each of you and if you wouldn't mind saying a quick hello after so that those at home know whose voice belongs to whom. Our first panelist is Chelsea Hamill She's currently a fourth-year ENT resident, applying for a fellowship in head and neck oncology and reconstruction. After not matching into ENT her first year, she participated in a clinical research fellowship.
2: Hey, guys. Thanks for having me today.
1: Our second guest is Kevin Zahn. He's currently a chief resident at a well-respected program in the Midwest. He will be starting a neurotology fellowship this July. He's also the current chair elect of the academy section for residents and fellows. After not matching, he did a clinical research fellowship as well. Hey guys, happy to be here. Our third panelist is Stefania Goncalves, and she's currently a fourth-year ENT resident in South Florida. She did a research fellowship for about three years and applied to the match three times. As they said, the third time's the charm, and it sure was for her. She's currently applying to neurotology fellowships. She loves cooking and empowering people to follow their dreams.
3: Hey guys, happy and excited to be here, empowering you to follow your dreams.
1: And last but not least, we have Drew Smith, who went unmatched last year's cycle, chose to do a research year and will be starting an ENT residency this July. He and his wife have two kids at home and a third one on the way. Thanks for joining us, Drew.
4: Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you again to all of you for taking your time out of your very busy schedules to sit down and talk with us today. So let's go and get started. The first question goes out to all panel members. How did you improve your application when reapplying? And how did your strategy for matching change?
2: So after I didn't match, I sat down with my mentors and looked at the deficiencies in my application for areas to improve upon for the next year's cycle. The biggest thing for me was research experience, which is why I decided to pursue a clinical research fellowship. Um, Given that applications were due so soon in September, my goal was to be involved in as many projects as possible to bolster that section of my application and focus first on those that could be accomplished in that short time period. This led to looking at things like unfinished manuscripts needing revisions or projects that were already presented as posters and needed to be written into a manuscript, and then I moved into some smaller projects to get through the IRB and submit it as a poster somewhere prior to the deadline of Eris. I also started some long-term projects that I could still put on my application that then allowed me to finish those during the year, and then I could talk about them during my interviews.
0: Yeah. So I think globally, um, I mean, everyone's going to be a little bit different, but certainly I had a similar uh, experience with Chelsea. I, I didn't have much research um, going in. I really didn't have any at all. And um, But I, I also just had the wrong approach for um, uh, applying to ENT. You know, I didn't apply to enough programs. I applied to very few programs, actually. Um, and um, just, you know, interviewing itself, perhaps I probably didn't spend enough time as I should have just learning the techniques of interviewing and talking about yourself and communication skills and body language and all those kinds of things. Um, so it was really, my strategy was to one, obviously address the deficiencies in my CV, um, which for, for many would be for research. Um, but also, you know, to kind of really take the time to reflect and think about who you are and, and how you come across and, and, um, how you can change uh, those things and work on these things and work on those skills that are, that are important that's going to come through during an interview as well.
3: Well, in my case, um, these were like three long years. I basically, first of all, I didn't have any research experience whatsoever. So I needed first to find a place that would give me the opportunity to do research. That was number one. Second, I didn't have any mentorship at all. So I also needed to find appropriate mentorship. So the first thing that I did is I, I started talking or reaching out, sending emails to different, like, vice chair for research uh, at different institutions. I had the opportunity to meet in person with one of them, and he told me, like, I think you can make it, but you just need to work on your application and your CV. Uh, once I was able to find a place that would happily, uh, happily for me, they took me to the research um, that first year, I focused only on research, and the reason for me to do that is because I had seen the, um, the charting outcomes for the prior year, and I saw that the average for research uh, in applicants was like, I don't know, 10 publications, and it was like, there's no way that I can do this, like doing a ways plus research and have everything ready, like 10 plus publications in like a few months. That doesn't happen in basic science research, right? So thankfully, in the institution that I wanted to do research, I found like great mentors and they kind of like taught me how to spread myself think kind of. Uh, but at the same time, they made me or taught me how to be efficient and be responsible or, um, uh, for every single project at the same time that I was publishing. I decided to apply the second year, even though I didn't have that much exposure on the clinical grounds um, for that year, just because I was like, well, who knows, maybe I would match. And second of all, that will provide a second experience in terms of interviewing. So I did that. I applied like to only like 20 programs, ended up getting two interviews. Um, it was very stressful, for sure. I didn't match. And then I sat again, another round of checking the charting outcomes. I saw, well, my, my CV is already competitive uh, research-wise, Now I need to improve my communication skills. And um, that's basically what I worked the last year and a half, like continue like producing the research. And at the same time, I was focusing more on clinical rotations with the institution that I was working at. And I was getting feedback from my mentors of like, what would people think of me whenever I had interactions?
4: I think you should always talk to mentors and others to decide how you can improve your application. For me, I was coming from a medical school without a home otolaryngology program. So I felt that participating in research and getting letters from a well-known institution would tangibly improve my application
1: what were the most important lessons you learned about yourself during your reapplication year?
2: The biggest thing I learned was how to get myself through the heartbreak of not matching to a point where I was able to be confident in myself as a potential applicant. So not matching for me was one of the most crushing experiences I've gone through. And at the beginning of that year, the constant self-reflecting and strategizing for the upcoming application cycle, as well as the overall uncertainty of it all, manifested itself in pretty bad anxiety for me to where I actually sought medical help and was put on some medication it was really difficult feeling like i had somehow failed yet again um, but i realized i was asking for help in so many other ways to get me through this process that if i didn't ask for help with this then there was no way that i could have put the best version of myself forward for my interviews
0: i i think one of the most important things that i realized was that i that, you know there to some degree there is sort of a game in terms of the whole application process. And I didn't really play to win. I didn't really know how to play the game at all. And, 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 you know, I experienced a tremendous amount of like personal growth that year and did a lot of self-reflection and, and um, just kind of put everything on the table, just from how I spoke to how, how you carry yourself, how you talk about yourself. You know, I don't think there's any shame and reading self-help books on this topic or anything like that. I mean, whatever you can do to just better understand yourself and learn how you come across to others, I think is helpful. And um, because oftentimes, especially in ENT, everybody's applying with a fantastic CV. Uh, and uh, it's really kind of how you present your narrative and how you talk about yourself that, that kind of uh, makes you a bit more memorable. And so I, I try to learn about everything, you know, in terms, obviously I, I did research projects and, and, and uh, learn about statistics and research uh, methods and stuff, but uh, it's a, it's an opportunity to, to be, especially for me, one of the most important years of my life to learn a lot about yourself and who you are and what, you, what, what your values really are and what you, what you really stand for. Um, and certainly if that's the case for you, you should be proud of it and speak about that experience and speak about that narrative and how that influences why you'd be a great resident team player. And that has to come across during your interview, you know, um, your own personal growth uh, that you experienced and stuff. So people people really respond to, to grit and those kinds of things kind of has sort of a, a chip on your shoulder, just kind of uh, persevering through hardship. Because like Chelsea said, it is the worst, absolutely the most, just the most worst experience. I felt a lot of shame. I felt like I failed. Um, just watching everybody post on Instagram, they're like, you know, their, their first badge, their first white coat, all those things, you know, it it really gets, gets on you. And to kind of persevere through that is tough, but it ended up being one of the most important years of my life.
1: I really appreciate both of your honesty in talking about that. Um, obviously there's a lot of emotions that ride on this and for each of you who obviously are still extremely accomplished, it's difficult to look back and, you know, feel that all of your life's work is, is put to a halt, at least for a moment. And uh, I appreciate kind of your your honesty with that, but as well, your determination to to continue to move forward. So let's move on now to talk about feedback and evaluation. We have sort of touched on this already, but, you know, looking back after an application cycle, how exactly can you find out what you need to improve on your application after you've gone unmatched?
4: So a week or so after match day, I emailed the program coordinator of every program I interviewed at and asked if I could meet with the program director to receive feedback on my application and interview performance. I ended up doing a Zoom interview or phone call with around two-thirds of them and received extremely helpful advice and mentorship on what I needed to do to improve. Uh, During these phone calls, I also used the time to ask about any research I could participate in, and then followed up on those opportunities if they were available, which really allowed me to cultivate existing relationships I had with these programs. And then the next cycle, I ended up re-interviewing at many of the programs I had met with. So I highly recommend that each applicant do this.
3: Um, In my case, I ended up reaching out to my mentors. And remember that you guys don't have to find just one mentor you can have 10 mentors from different things so i had a mentor for research another for clinical stuff another one for rotations and one of them was also helping me with how would i come across people in general so it was kind of like a personal coaching session more or less so i would sit down after every single interview trail with them and they would tell me like you need to improve these like you show you were too anxious during the interview." You need to try to hide that better. Your application was was good on these, but you were missing on that.
0: I just i I, I tried to kind of get a hold of everyone that I could in terms of things that I can work on and and um, it, you know it's a very tough uh, thing to do to to get people to really tell you uh, the things that that matter a lot and especially especially if it has to do with maybe how you're coming across and stuff because I think you know, in my personal application, I, I, research was a a glaring hole. So that's clearly something I can work on. But then when it comes down to like, Hey, you know, how did I interview or how how did I, how did I come across or those kinds of things? Those are difficult um, uh, to really get good feedback on. So first of all, you know, seek out people, I would say, you know, don't just talk to your friends who are going to tell you what you want to hear, you know, that you're great and this, I mean, it's, it's important, right. To keep your head up above the water, but really look for like, did I come across? and, And it might be helpful for the other person to just Rattle off a bunch of descriptors. You know, hey, did I come across as uninterested? Did I come across as uh, disengaged? Did I come across as uh, annoying? Did I come across? you know, like just rattle them off and then at least if they don't have any specific uh, feedback for you offhand, then you can at least kind of whittle down the list of things that that you can potentially work on and maybe ask for feedback on certain scenarios in your professional setting or personal setting that that may have come across a certain way or not. Because especially, you know, for the people that like have great CVs and great applications and they didn't match and they interviewed at like 10 or 15 places or even more than that, you know, that's where you really got to think about like, okay, did I just come across as unlikable or what was it about myself that, that came across that way? Because usually, I mean, if you have that good of an application, then there's something else at play and, and just put everything on the table um, for something to be working on and, and to reflect on.
1: Wanted to talk a little bit about letters of recommendation and maybe get a quick poll from everyone. Did you get new letters from new letter writers or the same letter writers, and just had them write new ones? What did each of you do?
4: I got all new letters, including asking one previous letter writer to write me a new letter. Uh, this was my research mentor, and uh, you know, so much changes in a year, and they get to know you personally on a much different level. And so, I think having all new letters is extremely helpful.
3: Um, I did ask for new letters for my second application, for my third application, and I kept three writers, uh, the same three writers, and I'd ask for a letter from someone else that I thought it would have been beneficial. I also like asked for like I don't know eight different letters of recommendations because I would target oh this person has a relationship with this particular program, so I would try to match those letters based on where I was applying to.
0: Um, so I kept a letter from my home institution um, and I did a, a clinical research uh, fellowship at a different institution. I asked for two letters from there, um, one being the chairman there and then the other um, being my primary research mentor. And then I ended up keeping a, a, another a letter just uh, asked my um, uh, away rotation that I did in the first year, um, see if they would be willing to write another letter for me. Uh, You know, everyone I think offers a little bit of a different um, aspect of my, or can talk about a different aspect of my, of my application.
2: Yeah. I had a combination of people who had previously written me letters and then all new uh, letter writers as well as letters. Um, I did the same thing where the people who had written me one the previous year, I asked them to at least address that I was a reapplicant in that letter and if they would even Still be willing to write me one, um, and then as far as the other letter writers, they were with my uh, research program.
1: Then actually segues good into our next question. So, how do you ask your letter writers to address your reapplicant status, and how do you approach that conversation? And what did you tell them?
2: So, with the previous letter writers, I guess I didn't ask them directly how to address it. I more approached it that. Can you mention in my letter that I am a reapplicant and kind of left it up to them um, as to how they would address it? As far as my new letter writers, since they were from people that I was doing my research year, when I asked them for the letter of recommendation, it was natural for me to then ask them to talk about what I was doing this year to help improve my application in that letter. Thus, kind of addressing my reapplicant status more in detail than in my previous letter writers.
3: Yeah, in my case, I honestly never asked directly um, for them to address that issue. However, I know I remember from my interviews that uh, people would say very good comments about my letters of recommendations, like saying, oh, they say that you have grown a lot personally through these years after your multiple reapplications. And I think that's something that they want to see. Like they don't want to see someone that is stagnant and doesn't improve personally or professionally. Uh, they want to see someone that is like empowered like and wants to continue and motivated to pursue their goals.
1: And speaking of the application itself, did you end up rewriting your personal statement and various heiress activities? And how did you address your reapplicant status in any of those aspects of your application?
0: right so I think um my uh strategy for my for my year off was to really kind of own the fact that it didn't match and that was kind of in all aspects of my application from um you know the personal statement to to how I interviewed and stuff and um so with the personal statement specifically, i think uh you know in in reflection, I think my original personal statement was probably a little too cutesy. I, I, you know, was a literature major in college, and I tried to be too creative with it, perhaps. And I went with something a lot more practical. And I was, and that was at the advice of many of my mentors, you know, because um, uh, here's an opportunity. If, if people do, you know, people read your personal statements, and, and here's an opportunity to really kind of talk about, um, you know, who you are as a person, what values you have, how does your upbringing affect who you are as a person today. So I, I focus a lot more on that and, and try to talk about, you know, how I was raised. I'm, I'm a first generation immigrant. You know, my parents came here with very little. Um, and then my story, right, because it's hard to to, to stand out because everyone's CVs are so great. So I think this, the personal statement is a great way to open all these little possible conversation starters, you know, in, in, in things in your narrative that are unique to you and allows the person uh, interviewing you to really ask you about all these questions. So, oh, so this is what you did or you had this interesting experience, you know, um, but don't belabor one thing the entire time, leave a lot of little, uh, little things to, to potentially talk about. Um, and then also I would say, you know, I I see now that you're on the other side of the fence, you read a lot of personal statements and you see a lot of people kind of belabor the point of like how ENT is so great and how the anatomy is so cool and all that stuff. And, I think you know. I think it's it's a it's good to talk about ENT and, and why it's cool and stuff, but don't don't belabor it. You know, we already know uh, uh, that, that that the anatomy is hard and things are challenging, right? And that's why it's so cool and that you know and all this and that. But but really, take try to limit your precious word limit on things that really who speak to who you are as a person and why you'd be a great fit and uh, um, and why your personality would make a, a great you know teachable resident who who's gonna who's, who's gonna get the job done.
2: I absolutely rewrote my personal statement. Um, I couldn't assume that my same personal statement from the first year would get me into ENT the second time around. Uh, So I did keep some of the same things that I had in my original one, like why I was interested in ENT. And luckily, in my first personal statement, I talked about my perseverance and determination. So I kind of expounded on that for my new version and working on self-improvement. But instead of just saying, well, I didn't have enough research, so I'm doing that to bolster my resume, I really talked about how... I already had certain skills that would make a good ENT resident like leadership and collaboration, but then lacked that skill set in forwarding patient care through research endeavors and then talked about how this research year really will prepare me to be a better clinician and ENT resident.
1: Did you change the number of programs you applied to in subsequent cycles after not matching? And did you apply to an interview at many institutions that you had applied to or interviewed at in previous cycles?
0: Uh, So I I just applied to every program in the country. Um, I knew I had a big flag over my head, which was that I was a reapplicant. And um, I, you know, beggars can't be choosers. You've got to be hungry for every possible opportunity To match an ENT, and that's what I wanted to be. I didn't want to be anything else but an ENT, so I wasn't gonna let that go. So I applied to every program in the country.
3: In my case, the first time I applied, I uh, applied everywhere. I just got like a waiting list, but that time my CV was like one publication, no mentorship, you know, everything set up for failure, basically. My second time, I still felt that my CV wasn't hundred percent good enough. Uh, I applied only like to 20 programs. I got two interviews. The third time I, when I felt like, well, this has to be the time. There's there's no other time for these uh, matching uh, process. So I ended up applying to all the programs again. I ended up having like six interviews if I'm not wrong. And um, two of them were from the same, from like the prior match period.
4: So I applied to most programs the first time and to every program the second time, sort of following off of what Kevin said as well. Um, and the second time around, I was re-interviewed by half of the programs I had interviewed with the first year. I think I put considerable effort into maintaining relationships with those programs over the course of my research year, including doing some research with, with those programs, uh, attending virtual didactics and Grand Rounds with them. So those are a few, I think, things that made a difference.
2: Yeah, I definitely applied to way more than the previous year. Not everywhere like Drew and Kevin did, but definitely the majority. Um, I was told that going in, I likely wouldn't get interviews at the same places I did the previous year, which was true for the most part. I did get interviews at two or three places. That I had the year prior, but the majority of places I interviewed um, were totally new places for me. And then one thing too that I just wanted to mention about the like interviews themselves is I got a lot of advice to consider dual applying, um, but I didn't do this for a couple of reasons. One, there really wasn't anything that I had my heart fully in it to be able to interview for, honestly. And then I didn't want those interviews to potentially conflict with an ENT interview that I could otherwise go on, kind of like what Kevin said. I was in it – to be in it um, and not want to risk it, I guess. And then three, I just didn't have the money. Um, (laughs) So – it did make me a little bit nervous that I didn't have a backup plan, but my thought process was that if I didn't put my whole heart into it the second time around and it still didn't match, then I figured it wasn't meant to be. And at that point, we just try and soap into something else.
1: That is a good question. I actually should ask, did any of you end up dual applying? Kevin, you said you went all in. Chelsea, it sounds like you did not. Drew, did you or Stefania?
3: No, I was about to, but I didn't.
4: I applied to a handful of prelim surgery programs as a backup kind of for the same reason. I I really only wanted to do ENT and was having a hard time picking something else that I could see myself going into. I
0: had a friend who do apply to anesthesia and he and I went on a bunch of interviews together and he ended up matching an ENT. He's graduating this year as well. Um, but, you know, I think everyone, it's a, it's a personal choice for everyone. And I think it's going to be tough to say like you should and shouldn't uh, just many, just like Chelsea said, you know, like, it's going to be different for everyone in, in terms of what they can see themselves doing in another, other specialty. Um, I know uh, someone who uh, dual applied in emergency medicine and then end up doing that instead. So it's just, it's just going to be different for everyone. I think.
1: Yeah. I think that's really important to point out. Um, and, and we obviously know that the past few years have been exceptionally competitive for ENT. And I think that it's important to evaluate kind of what your priorities are and talking with your mentors about, you know, different uh, opportunities and kind of where you stand in terms of chances of matching, uh, looking at the charting outcomes and other stuff like that. But I agree, Kevin, and I think you're right that it needs to be something that's decided as an individual with your personal circumstances. So let's talk a little bit about interviews. Um, how can re-applicants gain insight into their previous cycle's interview performance? And do you have any tips for improving
4: Yeah, so I mentioned that I reached out to program directors to get feedback, and according to some of the feedback I received from them, the interview was an area where I could make a significant improvement and really stand out. I would say most re-applicants probably receive less interviews the second time around, so you really need to shine with the opportunities you receive. As far as prep, I don't think doing two mock interviews and then some light prep before interview day is sufficient. The second time around, I did mock interviews with five to six people inside and outside of ENT and tried to incorporate their diverse feedback. I ended up reading a book about improving interview skills, and that book was more geared toward the business world, but I still learned many tips that I applied during each interview day. And then before the actual interview day, I would read through the research of each attending that I knew I would interview with just to see if we had any areas of interest in common, and then... I would definitely take note if we both attended the same undergrad institution or lived in the same city, anything like that. Um, Being able to chat about those commonalities, I think, can help make a stronger connection with the interviewer.
3: Yeah, I I actually love um, Drew's um, comments. I, I didn't email program directors or coordinators, but I did reach out to my mentors, as I mentioned, in the past. Um, They gave me the feedback regarding the the interview session. So they pointed out all the things, like I was too anxious. I was like, my facial expressions or gestures weren't in harmony with what I was saying. So I was saying one thing, but expressing something else. So basically, at that time, we sat down and started going through all of those things um, for the last year when I matched. I ended up writing like a whole list of potential questions or common questions. I wrote down like a short uh, answer for each one of them. I would memorize that and I practice, I don't know, 100 times. I would have uh, mock interviews with with family, friends, um, even my mentors, and they would tell me what to tweak or not in certain answers. But I guess like the practice is what makes the difference. Uh, or at least it was for me, because in the end, even though I was like saying a script, I was repeated. I was like practicing so much. It would come out naturally, basically. And the last thing that you said regarding like, make your research, like the programs will send you a list of all the people that will be interviewing you. Or at least I remember it was during my time. I think they're still doing the same. But before you go to the interview, read about each person. I'm pretty sure you can come out with like, two or three questions to ask each one of them and if not then you can just leave an open uh, question for them but like it's very important because they see how well you are preparing for that interview that you actually read about the program and what they do etc
1: and also speaking about interviews how did you address your reapplicant status during interviews did you bring it up first did you wait for people to bring it up and how do you talk about it on interview day
2: Honestly, since I had addressed it in my application and my personal statement, I didn't bring it up in the interview unless the interviewer specifically asked about it. I figured I put it all out there in the open on my application. So if they didn't ask, they either, one, didn't care. I was a reapplicant and just wanted to get to know me. Or two, they didn't read my application very closely. Um, I did, however, prepare for the question why do you think you didn't match? Um, Just like Drew and Stefania said, having a rehearsed answer for that was super important because it's kind of awkward and can be a kind of emotional question for you. Um, So having a solid answer in mind helps keep you from stumbling and getting nervous about it.
4: So I actually took uh, a little bit of a different approach. I really tried to own the reapplicant status. I always addressed it at the end of the, in the classic tell me about yourself response. Uh, I explained my disappointment in not matching last year, but emphatically noted my commitment to otolaryngology every single time. Then throughout the rest of the interview, I would make a point of demonstrating how I used my bonus year to improve myself both as a person and as a future otolaryngologist. And then additionally, if there's anything on your application that may have been the cause of not matching, I think you should address it and show what you've done to grow or learn from that experience. Uh, my sense is that program directors want applicants who demonstrate the resiliency to overcome challenges and can learn from mistakes.
0: Yeah, I I would totally agree with, uh, with what Drew said. That was also my, my approach. I think, you know, when you have the reapplicant status, um, thing on, on your application you don't want to let somebody really uh make a lot of guessing games and to kind of think like oh i wonder if you didn't match because of this or i wonder if you didn't match because of that like i led with it too you know the the most common question people ask you is tell me about yourself right and so I, that was a very very scripted rehearsed answer and uh similarly in, in in my response towards the end it was always that i didn't match and here are the let me show you um uh, and just talk about how you've grown uh, significantly as a person since then, how you've produced publications. and This is how badly you want it. This is the chip on your shoulder. This is how I want. I can prove to you that I'm going to be that guy that when, you know, when I'm on call, you know, if something's crazy, whatever I'll do, I'll do whatever it takes to get it done. And that's the kind of, uh, that's how I led my narrative. And um, you also, if you, if you go out, go out and say the reasons you didn't match or, Kind of address certain issues of your in your application. You also take away any opportunities for people to guess uh, as as to why those things happened or those. You know, you you address it up front and you own it and you and you and you uh, talk about it confidently. I think uh, people will uh, respond to that well.
1: I think a common theme throughout any application cycle is the importance of network, especially in a field like ENT. Do you have any tips for networking with departments as a reapplicant? Um, both before,
4: during, and after interviews? I mentioned speaking with program directors, but if you felt like you really connected with any faculty member during an interview, I would say reach out to them, let them know the situation, let them know you went on match but are still committed to this field and really loved their program. Um, There's always the chance they'll go to bat for you next year, help you get an interview there again. Uh, Another thing during the cycle I found helpful was writing review papers. Those can be written by anyone from anywhere. So if you have a topic you want to write on, just go read the existing literature. You can discover attendings at programs you're interested in who've researched similar topics previously. Then you can reach out to them via email and ask if they'd be willing to be the senior author on your paper. I found this to be a great way to get your foot in the door at a program and then show them your skills. You can also contact a program you're interested in and ask to join any virtual events like didactics or grand rounds. I think a lot of programs may still be doing those virtually. So that's another opportunity.
0: So uh, I I didn't do a a ton of networking uh, in my experience. I I, I was kind of very fortunate that because I was doing um, a clinical research fellowship at a different institution, in that sense, I was already networking and kind of getting letters from them and, and, and having them reach out to people for me. Um, you know, uh, I was very grateful that my mentors uh, at this institution were willing to make phone calls for me and say, Hey, look, you know, what are your top, however many places I'm going to call them all for you or whatever it may be, um, to tell them you're interested and and that you're a a good candidate. But I think now it's kind of interesting because we're, you know, based on the new interview cycle, I I've seen a lot of people, um, get on uh, social networking like Twitter and just to kind of um be seen in that uh in that space and there are a lot of program directors that are that are also in that space that are occupying that space and um I don't see why it would be uh disadvantageous for you to to kind of be involved in, in that as well but that, that's probably just a personal preference I don't think it's a necessity but I've noticed that with with the pandemic and things going virtual and like Drew said with virtual events I think that's a great opportunity to kind of stick your foot in the door or at least show that you're present. You're like, hey, who's this person logging on? You know, ten minutes early before Grand round starts every single time. You know, it's like people will notice that. People will people will uh, take note.
3: Yeah, in my case, my uh, main networking arena was the academy. I remember every single time um, taking printing out like a very short summary of my CV with publications and mentors, uh, and with an applicant um, number of the NRMP. It would be like half of a uh, half of a, like a page or something like that. So I would take few copies every single day at the Academy. I would be there like for three days if I could. and uh, I would stick with a different mentor every single day so that mentor will introduce me to everyone they knew from different programs and I would be basically giving them my CV. And I thought that was a cool thing to do.
1: Well, this has been really a great panel so far. Unfortunately, we're kind of coming to the end of it. So as we finish up, what would you say are the most important pieces of advice you'd give to reapplicants, regardless of what their CV might look like?
3: Well, first of all, as you guys know, this is a very tough process. Um, It's very heartbreaking and demoralizes you a lot. But you just need to take your time to grieve because you have to. That's like a mental health uh, to take a few days to drain everything out and then try to get yourself up again and put all the little pieces back together. Be humble. Realize that all the applicants every single year will be amazing applicants. And you just need to think, well, how I can I stand out for the next time? Review the charting outcomes. Talk to your mentors, all the different tips that we have told you. But if you feel that this is your dream and this is what you want to do, never give up.
4: Yeah, you know reapplying is hard, and you know whether it's fair or not, you are at a disadvantage. I think though there are a couple of advantages that you do have. You know, first there are already multiple programs who know you and probably like you, so use that to your advantage. Figure out what you can do to make them like you even more. Uh, second, you have an extra year now. If you really use that year to your advantage. Uh, I think you can make a significant, make a lot of significant additions to your application that will help you stand out even more. Um, So bottom line, uh, I agree with what's been said. If you want to be an otolaryngologist, don't give up
2: ultimately, I think you have to do what's best for you. You're going to get so many differing opinions throughout the year about how to strategize or approach things certain ways, but ultimately, you're the one going through this. So it's important to listen to things like this podcast and advice that you're given from your mentors and things, but really you have to listen to yourself the most because you know yourself the best. So try and be as confident in yourself and know you're worth the best you can, even though it's easier said than done.
0: Yeah. I would just, um, just say that, uh, you know, it, it seems like, especially right now, if you're just recently unmatched, that this is like the worst thing ever, you know, to ever happen to you. But I promise that it can also be—at least in my case—it can also be the greatest thing to ever happen to you. I ended up matching at my number one institution, and I, I absolutely love it here. I'm about to graduate, and I still have a screenshot of the email that said, "Hey, I'm sorry, a great candidate this year, but we were unable to offer you an interview for my first cycle um, from this institution." Right? So, you know, you've—you uh, just got to be hungry. You've—you've got to—you uh, got to address. You know, be be strategic about it, and learn that there is there is a, a way to play this game you know and and um you know whether it's how you speak to people versus how, how how different aspects of your cv can be addressed like you know put everything on the table and and try to find ways and high yield ways of, of addressing every single aspect of it you know and um, be hungry for it and prove to people that you've got what it takes because that'll really kind of resonate um you know and and kind of turn a lot of heads because otherwise people are going to be thinking and guessing as to why you didn't match and making all these assumptions, um, you know, prove them wrong and, and tell them like, Hey, look, no, 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 this is, uh, I'm still a great candidate. Um, and, and let me show you why.
1: Well, thanks again to all of you for taking the time to meet up today. I think this is an area that, uh, there's a lot of people that want to know more about it and there's not a lot of resources out there. So we really appreciate you sharing your experiences and your wisdom with going through the process. I'll just point out to our listeners, a good compliment to today's episode is our podcast we did with Dr. Wax uh, about going unmatched that you can find at HeadMirror.com. Also, for those who are listening today, if you have any more individual questions for our panelists, we will include various social media handles from our panelists when HeadMirror posts about this episode on social media. You can follow us at HeadMirror underscore com on both Twitter and Instagram. that about wraps it up for today's episode. Uh, Thanks again to all of our panelists and to each of you for tuning in and we'll catch you next time.